0: Good afternoon,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Good afternoon,
2: Atiel. How are you? Antsy. Antsy.
1: What are you antsy about?
2: Uh, the, the Steam Summer Sale. It's, it's been live for about an hour now, but as is the trend with the Steam Summer Sale and the Steam Winter Sale, their servers are completely overloaded. They're not able to handle all of the people trying to log in, and their servers right now can't even keep the appropriate pricing on all of the games that are going on sale. So I'm going to have to wait until later this evening when everything settles and stabilizes before I can spend all of my money.
1: Well, calm down.
2: I, it's so hard. I've been waiting They'll for this They'll take your for money weeks. eventually. <laughs> I know.
1: It's not like you can play the games right now anyway. we got work to do.
2: I can remotely start downloading them, though, because Steam is cool like that.
1: All right. That's true. It does take a long time to download sometimes. Uh, but we do actually have work to do. we got this whole radio show thing we got to do for the next yep, hour. Yep, I'm focused. So. I'm ready. Focused. All right. Let's get to it. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. That's the toll-free number. Email talk at WDAY.com. Coming up at 1.30, you probably saw the headlines yesterday. The legislature is suing Governor Doug Burgum, and a lot of you may be scratching your heads going, what the hell's going on? Why is a Republican legislature suing a Republican governor? Why, Why would a legislature sue a governor in the first place? And it's really, it's about checks and balances. It's about balance of power. It's about how the governor was using his veto authority. The legislature thinks he went too far. I happen to think they have a good case. Senate Majority Rich Wardner, uh, Senate Majority Leader Rich Wardner, Republican from Dickinson, joins me later in the program to discuss the legislature's case against Governor Doug Burgum's vetoes. So uh, we'll be talking about that coming up here at one thirty. Also, uh, but right now what I want to talk about is uh, Politico had a profile piece that they published this morning uh, under the headline North Dakota's last Democrat is a question mark at the end of that. Uh, Of course it's about Heidi Heitkamp because Heitkamp is the only Democrat to win an election on the statewide ballot in North Dakota since 2008. She's going to be on the ballot again in 2018, I think, but in this profile Senator Heitkamp, and this, this, it made me laugh. I, I laughed out loud this morning Uh, Early this morning, I was uh, laying in bed. I was reading the headlines. I was reading this article, and uh, I laughed out loud when I got to the part where Senator Heitkamp is sort of wringing her hands about whether or not she's going to run in 2018. It just, it absolutely cracked me up. She said, I quote, there are days I have doubts. I mean, this is a hard life. Later in the article, she says, you know, I haven't made up my mind. So basically she's she's trying to promote this idea that she's not sure if she really wants to run for the Senate yet. She's not sure if she's really in or not. And I'm I'm rolling my eyes so hard that they're about to fall out of my head because give me a break. Senator Heitkamp has already raised $1.6 million for her re-election campaign, and that's just what's been reported. I'm sure there's significantly more. Uh, available to her that's already been raised, that's on their way to her, that's being raised for independent groups to spend on her behalf. I'm sure it already, uh, uh, Heitkamp's war chest for 2018 probably is already in the multiple millions because she's actually running. By the way, remember that back in April, Senator Heitkamp leaked her fundraising figures, at least the favorable aspects of it. To Politico, the same organization responsible for the puff piece published today, she leaked she leaked her own fundraising numbers, or maybe not her specifically, but a member of her campaign staff. Somehow, it got out of her campaign, and Senator Heitkamp certainly wasn't complaining when it was being reported all over the place. We're supposed to be, believe that those are the actions of somebody who's not sure if they're going to run for re-election in 2018. There are literally already campaign ads touting Senator Heitkamp running on North Dakota television screens. They're already out there. Now, granted, they're not being run by Heitkamp's campaign directly. They're being run by independent groups. But even so, the 2018 campaign's already started, and Heidi Heitkamp's in. Look at the Democrats and the way they're attacking Congressman Kevin Kramer because they think he's the one who's going to run. Now, at this point, I'm not sure if he's running for the Senate or not. If I had to put a bet down I would say he probably isn't, but who knows? The Democrats sure think he might run, and they're afraid that he could beat Heitkamp, and so they're attacking him left and right. The 2018 Senate race has already begun, and yet here's Heitkamp in Politico, sort of, oh, I don't know if I'll run. This is a really hard life, you guys. I haven't made up my mind. Give me a break. It's it's posturing. I mean, it's the most phony thing in the world, which is hilarious for somebody who – uh, sort of, you know, has has made a political career out of this sort of red state, you know, plain state, uh, pragmatist, authentic, you know, person, you know, this this persona that Senator, you know, down home, you know, sort of folksy charm that Senator Heitkamp perpetrates to perfection. I should add, and she's very very good at it. She's a very skilled politician. But it's, I, I think this cuts right to the heart of it. Like, oh, I don't know if I'll run. You raised $1.6 million for your campaign. That's one of the biggest first quarter, you know, two-year, you know, first quarter of a two-year election cycle campaign halls in state history. And you're not sure if you're running? What she's doing is two things. First, North Dakota voters love humility. Right. They love it. Eat it up with a spoon. And so this is more of the, you know, Senator Heitkamp being very humble in front of voters or whatever to to make them like her and ingratiate her with them. And and it's it'll work. Voters will eat it up with a spoon. They'll love it. Even though it's it's a just just sort sort of rank example of, you know, calculation. Right. It's very conniving, but whatever. It'll work. The other part of it is. This might be signaling to you know sort of national liberal donors right most of that big campaign hall i've been talking about that 1.6 million dollars she's reported so far most of it from out-of-state donors and, and special interests and i think that heitkamp you know playing it being uncertain about whether or not she's going to run in 2018 it's all about signaling to those people keep the money coming you haven't you haven't convinced me yet right like if she says she's in you know that might dry up for a while. That money might dry up for a while. And I I think right now she knows it's going to be a very tough race and she's looking at stuffing her campaign coffers as full as possible before she even mentions whether or not she's going to actually be in the race. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is good politics, what she's doing. She is, she is probably one of the best politicians this state has ever seen. But it also happens to be phony as hell. More to come straight ahead right here on The Rob Report. 701-293-9000, 888 Email talk at WDY.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. Natil, I think the NRA needs to speak out on Philando Castile. What do you think?
2: Oh, I completely agree.
1: So, I mean, obviously there's the overarching politics here of police violence against minorities, which is a real issue. Um, it is disturbing. I, I followed the Philando Castile case. I am. I I don't think the jury got it right, frankly. Um, but an ancillary point to that is the fact that Philando Castile was a lawful gun owner, right? He had a he had a firearm on him. He was permitted to carry that firearm. Now, I guess there's some question about. If he had drugs, or if he was inebriated in some way, which you know obviously would have implications for whether or not it was legal to, to for him to possess that firearm along with the drugs or whatever. I I don't I don't know about all that. It, to me, that's that's irrelevant to this point, which is that he notified the officer that he had a gun. That was obviously what triggered the officer to become so nervous that he ultimately shot Philando Castile. Now, if you watch the dashcam video and you can find it on the internet, I have it up at sayanythingblog.com. It's one place you can find it. Um, if you watch it, the officer keeps telling Castile to stop reaching and we don't have video to, 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 to know, you know, if he continued to reach for the gun, if he was doing something there, I I just don't know. I wish we had that video. We don't have it.
2: But you can clearly hear Castile yelling. I'm not reaching for it. I'm not. I'm not. Right.
1: But we can't see what he's doing, I guess is the problem. I I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't see it through officer. You know, uh, Inez's eyes. So, whatever. Uh, to me, though, I, I, I think that this is a moment where the NRA should have something to say, right? Because there's a question here of law enforcement and how they react when they come across citizens who are exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Because what happened here is, you know, whatever else was going on. We need to make sure that that you know there is there is a level of understanding and a level of comedy between the law enforcement community, community and the general public that is exercising their second Amendment rights. Because the last thing we want is for officers to be getting jumpy. Now I, I don't know what the message needs to be. I mean, maybe the NRA needs to call for more training and make training available for people who have concealed weapons licenses that are going to be carrying their guns about how to handle, that situation, if you come across a law enforcement officer and you're, you're carrying a gun, maybe there needs to be more in training for law enforcement. I don't know what it is, but it, it, it feels like the NRA not speaking out on this It doesn't feel right to me. And I, and I think the NRA is afraid of speaking out because, again, you have the overarching, you know, politics, very divisive politics of violence between law enforcement and members of the minority communities. And if that's the reason why the NRA isn't speaking out, well, shame on them. 701-293-9000, 888 email talk at wdy.com. Caller, John, what's up? Well, You know,
3: Rob, I think you hit on part of it. You actually okay. hit on several parts of it. I'm going to come at you from a concealed carry holder's perspective and an NRA okay. member. Now, I don't always agree with the NRA. Let's start with that simple fact. Most of us who are members do not always agree sure. with them.
1: Yeah, that's but, fair.
3: But let's let us get to the simple facts of the Castile incident. Okay. First of all, he was violating the law by smoking marijuana and being a, in, in possession of a firearm. Okay. okay. It's, it's very cut and right if you look at the NCIS background check.
1: But if that, okay, that, but that's, I mean, that's, okay, then I guess, does that justify shooting him?
3: Well, let, let me just, bear with me here, because this all is right. where a lot of people seem to be getting lost on a lot of the simple facts of this. Because the facts are very cut and dried. If you, if you watch the video and you listen to the audio, okay, now, first of all, he's in violation of the law by being a marijuana user and having a concealed carry permit. You're in violation of the law there. Okay. Yeah, I've watched this video several times and listened to it very closely, and I understand exactly where the cop where the situation evolved the way it did. Now I'm not going to say hundred percent that you just you, you can justify a cop shooting someone, okay? But but that being said, everybody's oh well, the officer told him to get his driver's you know, his no, he didn't. He asked him a He had his license and registration, okay? And he asked them that question first. Then Castile identified that he had a gun. And at that point, now, you put yourself in an officer's shoes and put yourself in a normal person's shoes, Rob. Your normal reaction would be if the cop asked for your license and registration to start going for it. But this all transpired in such a short period of time Right. The cop did not have the full amount of time to really deeply assess that situation as to what Steele was doing. I'm going to tell you, if I were a cop, I probably would have done the same thing. And, and, and you talk to most street cops, and most of them probably would have reacted the same
1: way. So what? So I what? Mean, I'm what I'm assuming happened is because you're right. You've got the timeline right. The officer says, you know, do you have your license and registration? Uh, I think Castile while he was going about reaching for it told the officer oh,
3: no, cause, yeah Castile, you can hear right. it plainly on the audio if you listen I have
1: sure. i I, I, I want to let you know gun. I have a firearm right so he um you know he 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 tells the officer that at which point the officer tells him to stop reaching and he says he's not reaching I mean t- to me but that, that, that confusion. I, up. I, I think what happened is you have a confusion between the two. I think Castile was trying to get his license and registration. I think the officer was afraid he was reaching for his gun. There was confusion between the two men. It shouldn't have resulted in the shooting. And to me, that's the problem. How do we avoid that confusion going forward? Now, the well, NRA, okay, now, now, the, 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 you the you NRA is, the is, the is the nation's, John, hold on, hold on, John. On the nation, the NRA, is the nation's foremost advocate for gun rights. They're also one of the nation's foremost advocates for gun safety. They have a responsibility to speak up. How do we avoid this confusion going forward?
3: Well, and I think that's part of what they're probably trying to assess at this point, because I can tell you, well, Rob, they've had
1: they've had plenty of time.
3: Well, you know, political action movements never occur instantly because it usually yeah, results in more confusion. But I'm going to tell you, as as a concealed carry holder, Rob, one of the first things that you are told in in your classes is identify to the officer that you are carrying a weapon. And he did. He he did not. If you listen to the tape, Rob, if you go back and carefully listen to the tape, the audio sequence, he did not tell the officer that. You are supposed to say that as soon as the
1: officer comes up he said it i don't know i don't know if i buy that john everybody can i I gotta go to a break everybody can watch the video at sayanythingblog.com i think john and i disagree on the timeline there thanks for the call though more to come senator rich wardner next so go away Welcome back, Rob, report here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, your local number, 888-970-9329, that's toll-free, email talk at WDAY.com. Joining me now is Senate Majority Leader Rich Wardner, he's a Republican from Dickinson, Senator
0: Wardner, how are you? I'm doing real fine today, thanks Rob.
1: The uh, headline that North Dakota's got this week is that the legislature is suing the governor. Can you tell us what's going on?
0: Say that again? I didn't
1: quite understand. Yeah, what uh, the, the legislature suing the governor. Or uh, That's that's oh, the vote. You folks... I, I
0: guess I would say we have a difference of opinion. Difference just of opinion, We need a all right. party to settle it. Okay, all right. Well, what's, what's going on? Well, first of all, uh, you know, the governor... Uh, felt that he could veto some things that uh, we don't agree with. And uh, what he did is, for example, he did what we call selective deletion. He took only a few words out of uh, context, and uh, he took them out and said, uh, that, that's we're going to veto that. For example, uh, we have the NDSU School of uh, Nursing here in Bismarck, and that was controversial because of the rent and all that, and that got renegotiated. And in the In the legislation, it says that for future general funds appropriation in support of the NDSU School of Nursing program in Bismarck, we needed to adjust for the savings, in other words, the appropriation to that uh, program resulting from uh, facility uh, lease negotiations, which were negotiated down so in the future we wouldn't have to put as much money into it, and also For credit hours completed at the school, so if you increase the credit hours, they get more money, and of course the governor took out and selectively uh, took out for credit hours completed at the school, and we think that that is a part of the package and should be considered when we're doing the appropriation. So, so so what's that issue here? I mean,
1: right? It's uh, seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. As I understand it, I mean, obviously the governor can veto any bill he likes and send it back to you folks, and the legislature can choose whether or not you want to override it with a with a two-thirds majority vote. Um, but he can also do, on appropriations bills, can do what's called a line-item veto. and And I think that this is where it gets tricky, right? Because while he can line-item veto certain appropriations out, what he can't do is just sort of pick and choose words and then change the meaning of the legislation, because then he's not vetoing anymore. Now it's like he's creating new legislation, and legislators legislate, not executives.
0: Is, is that it in a nutshell? You, you, you have got it uh, pegged. And so we say that he vetoes a condition, but he doesn't veto the appropriation. So if he wants to do that, he needs to appropriate or to... Veto the whole appropriation to make it a constitutional veto, in our opinion.
1: What, is, is there an element, one, one thing that I've heard, and I, I wanted to ask you about this, one thing that I've heard circling around, because obviously when, when Governor Burgum was campaigning in 2016, uh, he made a big deal about running against the good old boys club in Bismarck and, and was really, in, in a lot of ways, pretty sharply critical of the legislature um, and, and, and the jobs that they had done. I have heard some suggest that this this is motivated by politics and maybe a degree of, of revenge or retribution for those campaign statements. What's your reaction when you hear that?
0: Well, I don't know. There might be some legislators that feel that way. If I don't. I would have been one that would have been considered to be the good old boys, I guess. Uh, I've forgotten about that. I'm moving on. we got to worry about the state of North Dakota, not about petty little arguments. But this is important that we protect the integrity of the legislature. And this isn't just about now. It's about in the future, that future governors don't take advantage of the legislature. And so that would be our concern. And, Rob, some people might say, well, why don't you just come back and veto? We could, but we only have three days left. And if, if we want to take care of some business and call ourselves back, we need three days to get business done, so we're very careful with uh, using any of those days uh, up as we well, go forward in this biennium.
1: Also, if if you folks just call yourselves back into session and you just override the veto, you also don't answer the legal question of whether or not the veto was valid in the first place, right? Because the governor can issue a valid veto, and then you guys can override a valid veto. That's all provided for in the Constitution. But what you're arguing is that the vetoes themselves were not valid, that they were unlawful. And and that's the and issue that's got to
0: be settled in the courts, right? That's right. And that is a good point. And that's probably the main thing that's driving this thing, that we need to get this corrected now and the right way. And you're right. If we come back and veto it, then uh, that what stops the, the next time from doing the same thing or a future governor doing the same thing? So we need to have some clarification from the judicial branch on this particular issue.
1: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday Any idea what this is going to cost? And I know, I mean, we're at a very early junction, and I, I maybe, but I've, I've, you know, already there's some grumbling. Oh, this is a waste of time. You know, this is just going to cost the taxpayers a bunch of money. Do you know anything about the cost? And what, what's your answer to that?
0: Well, we're researching that right now. No, it is not a waste of time. We need to make sure that the legislature does what the legislature is supposed to do. It's a separation of uh, branches. And I want you to know that we, will, we this isn't uh, final yet. We need to vote one more time. We're, we've got legislative staff plus some attorneys that we have that our senators and representatives are involved, and they're working on just exactly what they're going to bring before the Supreme Court. So we'll make sure that, of that, and we will make sure of what it's going to cost us before we jump into the river. So, so we are not just doing this uh, without any thought behind it.
1: So so if I understand correctly, what what you're saying is the, the vote that was taken this week was basically a vote to authorize beginning to explore this in two ways. What's the cost going to be? And also what case are we going to put before the court? Like, what, what, what's, our, what's our actual, you know, official argument going to be? Is that, would that, is that fair to say?
0: You bet. You got it right on the money. That's okay. exactly right.
1: And then once, once we have that, so what's the timeline on this? Obviously, you, you, you voted for, you know, to, to, to do that work. I mean, when are you going to have answers to those questions and, and be able to well, vote that, yes, we are actually going to, going to file?
0: Hopefully sooner than later, uh, we it's a call of the chair. The chair will call us as soon as uh, the legislative staff has it ready. And so uh, we would like to think that within um, a week or two, we're, we're ready to uh, make a final decision on this. We can't let it go.
1: Well, I mean, because there's a question, too, about, you know, the end of the biennium is the end of this month um you know june 30th the, the new biennium goes into effect and then on july 1st and then that's when these appropriations bills are going to start to kick in so is there going to be a complication in terms of these bills where where you you know you you're challenging the, the validity of the veto how how is how is the state going to proceed with those bills i mean are those bills just in limbo how does that work
0: i think you do they will just hold it's not there's nothing real major as far as money or anything like that. There really isn't. And uh, what would happen is that uh, they would, if it's in litigation, then you hold it until, you know, nothing is done until the litigation is done and the court has ruled. Keep this in mind, too, Rob, that if, let's say, that uh, in November we call ourselves back in because we have to deal with health care issues or uh, Medicare expansion or something like that, and we're in for three days. Uh, we can bring all these up and uh, do a veto uh, session within those three days, and then everything reverts back. It's uh, So it's everybody understands what's going to happen if, uh, if we have a veto session uh, in November. There is not a definite time that it has to be done. You're right. It would be nice if it was done by July 1, but uh, August 1, uh, is also for other legislation too yeah that's true uh we
1: have a caller scott that's got a question go ahead scott
0: Hi, thanks for taking my call um you know you guys were talking about switching a few words around and everything like that or um isn't that kind of what you guys did with that medical marijuana bill i mean there's like what three or four words that are the same as what the people voted on but just kind of wanted to get your take on that. I know it's. Well, As I understand it, the
1: issue is, that, I mean, the legis- it's the legislature's job to write legislation, right? It's their job to change legislation or to delete legislation or to create new legislation. That's what the legislative branch does. Rich, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The question here is the executive branch just doesn't have that power. They can't write policy, they don't legislate.
0: That's right. Yeah, and, but I don't think. Yeah, it I'll tell you that. what, when it comes to medical marijuana, what we're trying to do is to make sure that everything was. In sync, uh, there were a lot of things in there that, uh, if we hadn't done something, there wouldn't be any medical marijuana. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm just saying it's kind of odd that you guys can change things around and. Well, it's 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 a, a separation governor, of powers.
1: Of it. It, well, it's it's a separation of powers thing. The governor can't legislate. The governor can veto, but he can't he can't write new policy. And so the thing is, if he's if he's selectively de- deleting words, it has the effect of creating new legislation that is not the intent of the legislature. So so the exec- it's, it's a separation of powers issue. Now, whatever you may think of what the legislature did and didn't do to medical marijuana, they have that authority per the Constitution. The executive branch does not. They are specifically denied that authority by the Constitution. The legislature's argument in this case is that Governor Burgum, with these selective line-item vetoes, over you know stepped into the into the realm of the legislature and legislated and and that's a separation of powers issue scott does do, 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 does that make sense
0: right yeah yeah i'm just sure okay thanks all right well, thanks for he, the call I appreciate think, it uh, Rob, what is that why does the legislature get to change a uh, referral thing well the way the thing was was written it had openings for for example the state health department has to run it and yet their rules had to be made up and promulgated and the legislature right. had to do some things so we had the constitutional right to, to go forward in fact it was a it was our function we needed to do that in order to get the legislation done right uh, Yeah. I, I
1: mean so really i mean and again we can have a debate about the medical marijuana bill and how people yeah. feel about okay. what, what what was done but the, the issue is the legislature legislates, and the executive branch does not. So that's that That obviously is, is the issue here. Um, okay, well, I, I think that answers everything. Uh, anything else you want to add, Senator?
0: No, um, I to be honest with you, I'm very comfortable with this, and I, I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, and we will, uh, you know, the cost is something that all of us are concerned about at this time, but uh, we'll do it as efficiently and as uh, cost-effective as we can.
1: All right, Senator Rich Wardner, appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care, Rob. We'll wrap up the show right after this. 701-293-9000 if you want to get in. 888-970-9329. Don't go away.
0: Welcome back. Rob Port here on
1: 970 WDAY. Wrapping things up. Jay Thomas, of course, coming up next. Stay tuned for that. 701-293-9000. You want to get in on the last few minutes here. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Mateo, I'm glad the legislature's doing what they're doing, and I think they got a case. I
2: have to agree with you, and and I think... Part of me is a little bit disappointed that I feel the need to agree with you on this, not because I, you know, don't want to support the legislature, but because it's disappointing to me that Governor Burgum would have done this in the first place, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, and it's, you know, honestly, this stuff goes on all the time, and I I think it's a part of politics that people don't pick up on, but it's a very important part of our system of government, both at the federal level and the state level, where you have these different separate co-equal branches of government that are constantly squabbling over where the limits of their authority is now that was done for a reason because at the national level our founding fathers didn't want any one branch of government to become a sort of monarchy right they didn't want they wanted checks and balances between the different branches and and that's essentially what's going on here so i don't think i don't think governor Bergman necessarily did anything like with evil intent or anything like that i think most executives uh think that their power goes further than it does most legislatures think that their power goes farther than it does and then you have the courts to sort of referee between the two uh and sometimes the courts think their power goes farther than it does too so all three branches are intended to hold each other in check and that's essentially what's going on here and it's it's interesting to hear people talk about it because i'm um, you know people are like wasn't governor bergham a republican and aren't isn't the legislature Republican? Why are these guys fighting each other? And it's because these, these, these intra-government food fights over, you know, jurisdiction or, or whatever uh, transcend party lines. Right? It's not really about partisan politics at this point. This is the legislative branch standing up for its power. They think Governor Burgum... Uh, used his veto in a way to sort of selectively delete words and phrases or sentences in in legislation to make it different legislation. Now he can't do that. That's legislating and the legislature legislates, not the governor. So that's, that's the case that they're making. And it's not about partisanship. It's not even really about policy. It's about, you know, who gets to legislate. You know, if, if Burgum doesn't like those bills, then he needs to wield his veto appropriately. And I'm not sure that he did, now, he, of course, has lawyers and he'll make his case in court if this gets that far. But um, and the legislature is going to make theirs. But honestly, I I think the legislators got legislature's got it right. What I really love about it, that it's sort of an exercise in civics. Right. I, I love this stuff. Um, I I geek out. You're on such it, a nerd. I know. I know. I just I don't know. I I I love not just politics. I think a lot of people like politics because it's. You know, there's hot button issues and people get wound up and they get hot takes and all that kind of stuff. I, I like the process of governing as well. I, I think I think process is as important as policy. How you make policy is almost is, is really to to me equally as important as the policy itself. Because if you make policy and you don't get the right amount of buy-in, it go or it goes through a process that is perceived by voters or the public in general as being, you know, unfair or unbalanced or whatever, then that you're going to have a hard time implementing that policy. On the other hand, if you make the process so arduous that you can't make policy, that everything results in gridlock, then you're not governing either. So I don't know. I I think it's uh, I think it's all important. I think this stuff is is it's, yeah, it's nerdy as hell, but It's fun, too. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening, we'll talk again.